Good to see everyone this morning. It's great to be here with the Burlington Church of Christ. The, uh, why don't we go ahead and just open up with a quick word of prayer. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for this day to be together to worship you, God. We pray that uh, you would speak powerfully through me. Uh, Father, I pray that I can just be an instrument of your will, honestly, to, to consistently and constantly be uh, just a conduit for your spirit, God. I pray that your word would speak and move in the hearts of uh, everyone present today, Father. I pray that you, uh, your power, your majesty, your, your, your glory and honor be upon our hearts. I pray that our hearts are, and minds are open to your word and to your scriptures, Father. It says that you, you opened the apostles' minds so that they could understand your scriptures. I pray that you would do the same to us today. Uh, use me powerfully. Be with us as, uh, as we just hear your word, Father. We love you. We give thanks to you and praise to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Uh, it was funny. My, uh, as proud that it's communion, every once in a while there's a, I don't know, something about hearing scripture read, uh, it, it's just different than when you read it in your own quiet times, you know, and uh, when Kyle's reading the scripture, I was thinking of that scripture and, and thinking about it, praying about it, and it was one of those where I felt like I had so many thoughts from it just shortly, I was like, I feel like I could just pick that same scripture and go do an entire sermon that way. But then I spent hours on this one, which this would might be better for you. I don't know. Uh, or it was totally the Spirit saying, do that. But let's, uh, let's not do that. Amen? Amen? Well, if you've got a Bible, please uh, open it up this morning. I want to welcome you again. I know you've been welcomed uh, multiple times. But welcome again. If you got your Bible, John 8 is where you're headed. Um, and I, I want to talk about it and look at an account of where we get to see... An interesting interaction that Jesus has with some, some people, right? And oftentimes, confrontation comes up around Jesus. Uh, confrontation is there, and it's interesting to see how Jesus deals with it. And I'm hoping we're going to read this scripture. I want to talk about it, talk through it, consider what do we learn about Christ, and, and even what does it mean, and what do we do with it uh, in our lives. But in John 8, verse 1, we pick up here. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started right in the ground, on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up And said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, I want to paint this picture. I think the Bible does a great job. But when you read Scripture, it helps me to kind of see the scene, right? To play the movie in my mind and to see it. And and so I, I want to set this scene for us and think about it. You've got Jesus. He's up early in the morning. I mean, he says he appeared in the temple courts at dawn. You know, I looked it up about what time of year would this be and all of that. Somewhere between September, October, you know. And, and I looked up, all right, when does the sun rise there and all of that. I mean, he's up 6.15, 6.30 or so in the morning. And he's already there. It's not that he got up at 6.15. I'm like, oh, I get up at 6.15 sometimes. That's, that's doable. You know, it's, it's he was already there appearing at dawn in the temple courts. And, and I, I don't know about you, but when I think about the temple courts, it's early in the morning. Apparently there's already people there coming to worship. And it, it says that he sits down. Now, what, what was this scene like? It's not Jesus didn't come and sit in a pew. He didn't come and sit in, in some chair. The way the temple courts were is he's likely gone into an area where there's other people kind of coming through. And imagine kind of a, a very large square temple building. And all around it, there's stairs that lead up on on pretty much every side. Right? And so the idea is Jesus is in, in likely uh, what would be called the, the Gentile, not the Gentile court but the, court, but the woman's court. And he's sitting out where anybody can come through and anybody can come up. And so I see this and Jesus early in the morning comes and begins to teach. And it says he sits down. And so I, I imagine Jesus sitting on the stairs. Right? It's probably... Early in the morning. So it's about as hot as this, considering they're somewhere in the Middle East, maybe. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, warm in here, so I apologize. But, you know, you're there, and it's warm, and it's, it's a little dusty, a little sandy, and it's got a sandals on, you've got the great shoes, and all of that. And he sits down on the stairs, and he started to teach the people. Right? He's teaching, and he's speaking to them. And he's not standing, he's just sitting, talking to the people. And I imagine you see this group. And Jesus has got you know, a small group of people that he's teaching. And then he, you see this group of, of Pharisees dressed in their nice robes and their tassels and different things. And they walk up. And Jesus, you can tell from afar away that they're kind of coming to him. And I just see it as Jesus kind of stands up. Gets off his stair and walks out a little bit through his people. And these people come to him. And they bring this harassed, probably terrified woman. Right? And, and having her, bringing her amongst the crowd, and you say, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And I just imagine they've got her by the arm, right? And what does this, this scene look like? She's caught in the act of adultery. She probably threw on whatever she could, humiliated, terrified. And, and they're presenting her in front of the temple. It says, We should stone this woman according to the law. What do you say? see Jesus standing there sees this terrified woman what, what's the compassion that he has for her and what does he see in these men their pride he sees the trap that they're already trying to set right and what I love about Jesus he doesn't say anything 
He just kneels down and just begins to just draw in the dirt. And who knows? I mean, there's different speculation what he's drawing. He's just drawing in the dirt. Maybe they're looking. And they keep asking him, what, do we, what should we do with her? What should we do with her? Come on, Jesus. What do you say we should do? Teacher, teach us. Right? Kind of challenging him. And finally, he just stands up. And his response is just something to the effect of, if she's guilty and you are just, then cast the first stone. And he puts that challenge to them and, he, and he's saying, all right, and then he just does something funny. He just goes back and draws in the dirt some more. And he just gives them time to think and reflect on what he just said. And one by one, it says they walk away. Now, I don't know if they had stones. In my head, I always just imagine that there's a couple there who've got a stone and maybe somebody just drops it and you see the little poof and the guy just walks away. And one by one by one, they walk away. And Jesus doesn't... I get the impression that he's not looking up. He's just drawing in the dirt. Until finally he looks up and there's the terrified, scared woman waiting for judgment. And he just says, Where'd they go? Is there anybody left? No. And he says, There's no one left to condemn you. I don't condemn you either. But leave your life of sin. And I want to talk about this situation, this whole scenario. What do we learn about Jesus? What are the themes of this scripture? You know, there's, I, I would say there's, there's some key themes. There's a sense of the false pursuit of justice. Right? You've got a false pursuit of justice. You've got a time of honest assessment. A display of true mercy and a proper call to repentance. I'm going to talk about those a little bit. You know, when I look at this scripture and you see this, and the, the false justice is this, right? You've got these guys and they show up. They're, they're saying, what do you think, Jesus? What do you think? What do you say? And what are they trying to do? They've set up... I would say a triple trap for Jesus, trying to entrap him and say, if you, ch- if you pick any of these options, we're going to pounce on you. See, the thing is, is they come, for one, Jesus has been really teaching, John 3, he says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. If he passes any judgment, they could immediately begin to attack his ministry of, of mercy and compassion and the different things. They could start attacking his ministry. But another one is, if he were to say, well, she deserves to die, they could actually take his ruling to the Romans. And, and because they asked him the question, what do you say? They could take it and say, oh, he's trying to usurp the Roman law. Because under Roman law, the Jews could no longer execute anybody. Right? And so, they could actually take him and get him in trouble with the Romans. So, that's one of the things many scholars believe they're trying to do. They're trying to trap him. And, and they do this again and again with the whole, well, do we pay taxes? Do we not pay taxes? Do you do this? Do you do that? Again and again, they're trying to trap Jesus into conflict with the Romans. 
And then lastly, you know, if he had said, no, she's free to go, they would have said, well, you deny the teachings of Moses. You deny Scripture. And I love that Jesus... I don't know. I imagine Jesus had to be pretty witty. I mean, he's so smart to see these things. But he gets the intentions, he sees the people, and he gets these questions. But his response and them trying to trap him is to pause. He doesn't speak. He's slow to speak. And I think about us. When someone's challenging you, what's the? are, are we quick to jump back with a retort? Or do we think it through? You know, I think Jesus saw the scenario and he thought it through. But when you think about us, how do we respond? These people, they weren't there, though, to bring God's justice. They were there to be right. They wanted to be right. Now, what does the law say? It actually says in Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, If a man and a woman commit are caught in, in adultery, then both should be stoned. Right? Now, I look at this, though, and, and these men showed up with just one person. Yet they were caught in the act. Do you guys get what I mean? They're already caught in the act. But here, it wasn't about being right by God. It was just about being right. You guys ever get in that situation where you just want to be right more than you want to be right by God? You might be right... But you're still wrong. Right? And so, in this situation though, Jesus, He gives them a a, a time to take honest assessment of themselves. And these are Pharisees. These are people who know the law. And and I look at this going, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Turn over to to Leviticus 20 really quickly. Actually, let's go to Leviticus 19. Because they're quoting Leviticus 20, verse 10. And they're bringing him an accusation of the law. But I found this interesting when I went through and started reading over all of this again. These men know the law. The men that are bringing this woman. This woman. And in verse 15 it says this. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I read this scripture, and I thought, what are these guys immediately doing? They're quoting Leviticus 20.10, or that law, and they're saying, oh, you've got to bring two people, but how many did they bring? One. The man and woman should both be present. So they're already not doing part of the law. Then the second aspect, they're already there, trying to pervert justice. They're trying to find slander. They're trying to find a reason to trap Jesus and do him harm. Right? And in this whole situation, Jesus' response is, if you're just and you're right, then cast the first stone. 
and gives them time to think. And think it through. And they did. And one by one they left. You know, these people realizing their own guilt and their own sin is what brought mercy for this woman. And Jesus got to help bring that forward. But I I look at this and all the accusers leave. After the time of honest self-reflection that Jesus gives them, he shows true mercy. Because even under the standard that he set up, he said, those of you who have not sinned, cast the first stone. The only person there present who had not sinned was Jesus. Right? So the only person that could have thrown a stone at the woman was Jesus. The only person that could have made a condemnation or a judgment being from a, a perfect spot just said, I don't continue either. Now, how many times do we make judgments, right? Do we make judgments looking at ourselves as being self-righteous? Do you guys know what I'm saying? We all do it. We've all done it at different times, at different points in our lives. Some of us, you know, maybe we can think of a, a recent episode. But we look at this scripture and Jesus He's just merciful and He's humble. And it reminds me of the scripture that says mercy triumphs over judgment, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is an incredible display of mercy. But I think here's where we come to the most challenging part of this scripture for us today. Look back at John 8. Because I think we often can stumble on this point In our day, in our time, in this culture, this is where I feel like we will have the hardest challenge. Jesus comes to them, goes to the woman. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And I take pause at this. Because he's saying, leave your life of sin. Yet he's saying, I don't condemn you. In our culture today, if you told someone that they were in sin, how would they feel? They would feel immediately condemned, right? They would feel immediately judged. They would feel like, well, how how can you judge me? Or you're already condemning me just by saying that you recognize my sin. Because Jesus just commanded her to leave her life of sin. Do you guys see the trouble? There's a bit of a conundrum here because they're there and Jesus is saying, I know your sin. Leave it. Yet at the same time saying, I don't condemn you. How is that possible, right? How is that possible? I mean, his heart's good. I believe he doesn't condemn And so I look at the scripture and I say, how do we do it? How do we emulate Jesus by calling people to repentance while also doing what we can to help them not feel judged and condemned by us? Right? How do we do that? And there's a couple things here. You know, we've got four four hopeful small practicals for us. First, don't be a Pharisee. Right? Be like Jesus, not the Pharisee. 
Being right without consideration of the people is a problem. Those, what did those Pharisees do, guys? They brought the woman and they, they bring her to a crowd. How humiliating. And they just bring her forward and use her as an, as an object to trap someone else. They didn't care about Jesus. Or they didn't care about this woman. They just used her. And, and they just used her in a way to find a way to be right. How often do we do that? Where we're just trying to be right. We're not caring about the other person's opinion. We've got to not be the Pharisee. It's not about being right It's about being righteous. Right? The right relationship is what's going to be important there. Seems like common sense, maybe, to say, uh, to not judge being right without the consideration of another person, you know, and, and not thinking about them. But I'd say... I don't know. Sometimes common sense is not easy to come by. Uh, But in that, I would say, consider the person. When you're dealing and you see someone sin, consider the person. Consider where they are. Consider who they are. Don't just pass judgment. Does that make sense? Considering them. Second, carefully consider your own shortcomings. Right? Now, this is not to say that you can't say anything unless you're perfect. Because the standard is not us, right? What's amazing about this is that if the Bible is the standard, then we can put our confidence in God's Word, but we can also recognize, you know what, I struggle to meet this too. With, with men, I've had many conversations with guys where... Purity is an issue. And yet, when purity comes up, some men feel like they can't challenge until they themselves are perfect and pure. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? That you can't make that challenge. You can't challenge somebody on their anger when you're an angry person. But if you're both disciples and the standard is the Word of God, then you can bring the Word of God. Not your own example. Does that make sense? Yes. And so, but we've got to consider that. And it humbles us. And it makes it easier to hear when you help that other person understand your own shortcomings. Does that make sense? Yes. Thirdly, cultivate trust where you can. Right? What did Jesus do? He just saved this woman's life. He probably could have told her anything. Right? I mean, he could have said anything. Do 50 backflips, run 50 miles, right after this, go do this, and and you're good. He could have told her anything. That woman, her gratitude would have been there. But his, his point was just leave your life of sin. He had earned trust. Do we strive to earn the trust where we can with people when we make those challenges? Does that make sense? Walking out on the street, I remember when we lived in Portland, it was pretty funny. There was... um. I mean, it was funny, but not funny. I was a little indignant. So, I met some of these men, and I've had conversations with them, but there was this group in Portland that liked to stand on the street corner. And they would stand on the street corner and preach every, like, pretty much every day from 5 o'clock till about 6.30. And they would just, like, preach, and they would call out sin, and they would say all sorts of stuff, and 
And this was not like always nice things. Well, there was a sister in in Portland who, well, Evelyn. You guys know Evelyn. And so Evelyn loves to run. She's a runner. She was wearing, you know, leggings with large baggy workout shorts. And, you know, a fitted, whatever, Under Armour kind of full length to the wrist um, Under Armour thing and another big shirt over this. And she's running, and I think she was wearing a hat. And she's running through the city at, at, at some point, and there's this man starts like preaching, and he goes, And that depraved woman over there! And Evelyn's like looking around. Who's he talking about? Because she's standing at a streetlight waiting to cross the street. And he starts preaching about the immorality of what she's wearing. And I mean, those of you who know Evelyn, she's like so modest. She's like so humble. She's not, she does not try to be flashy. And, And if you don't know her, she hasn't, she lived here for a time. But she was, she's like, are you kidding me? And she's one of the most evangelistic, pure-hearted women I know. Oh my goodness. But that, that individual on the street is passing judgment from afar, not knowing the individual. We want to make sure that that's not us. Yeah. We want to make sure that that is not us. Now, we also, though we want to call people to true repentance. Right? And if, if we see sin, and we see it especially where it's destructive in someone's life, we've got to help them see it. Doing our best. Because ultimately what we believe is that person's not going to make it to heaven, right? If they continue in that way. But we don't, we don't put it as in the sense of condemnation. We want to put it in the sense of a call to salvation. Yeah. Right? And, and in making that call and calling them, leave your life of sin is what Jesus said wasn't a condemnation. It was a call to salvation. When you consider that, think about it. What does it mean? But having those conversations with our co-workers, the people you've had the time to build the trust with, and you see it when they talk about the drunkenness, or they talk about the immorality, or they, you know, it, I remember working with guys in the past where the way they talked about their wives, and I'm just like, that's not Okay. But I didn't confront it. Now I think if I have the relationship, I'm going to do what I can to help them to see it. Because they're destroying their own life. Sin is destroying their life. Do we have a heart to help them? Are we trying to help them? Does that make sense? This is what our Lord does. He calls people to salvation, trying to save them. In the scripture, we get to see the incredible mercy of Jesus as he deals with the self-righteous religious people. But let's be sure that's not us. He, he deals with them, and he deals with the terrified woman caught in her sin. You know, if you see sin in someone's life, whether it be in the church or out of the church, do what you can to help them see it. Not out of a sense of condemnation, amen? amen. But out of a sense to, to help them be saved. Sin is destructive. It destroys lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys friendships, relationships. It destroys our future. We want to help people see it. Not because we're against them, but because we're against sin. Right? And so when it comes to throwing stones, let's remember that throwing stones, it shouldn't be us. They're not our stones to throw. 
Let the condemnation not be with us. Let the judgment not be with us. Let it be with God. Let the mercy and the salvation and the true call to repentance, let those be us. Let us be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.